Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Banash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to the show, Karina Guzman. Thank you, Victor. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. Now, we talk about all different facets on the Real Estate Espresso podcast, and we've got a wide range of folks, folks that have thousands of units in their portfolio and those that are a little bit more starting out. And this weekend, we're focusing on land development, and that's one of your specialties. But before we dig into the details on that, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Sure. Um, So I basically started in real estate probably, I would say, 10 to 11 years ago now. I started very, very much similar to a lot of people, which is the buy and hold strategy. So I was doing that uh, back uh, in Riverside South. For those of you who are in Ottawa may know uh, Riverside South is kind of a, a newer development area. And I purchased uh, my first property there, which I actually decided to rent each and every room. So at the time, uh, you know, it was, I was, I guess, quote unquote, uh, house hacking, what they call now. Uh, Back then, they didn't call it that, of course, but that's what I did. And I ended up uh, paying down the mortgage, extracting some of that and purchasing the next rental property. So we did that for at least four years. After that, I knew that I had to move forward, right? When you get into real estate development, you realize I have to progress and do something new and develop that. And so I started to learn about the whole LRT, so the light rail system that is being developed here in Ottawa. And the city is putting in $2.3 billion into this new infrastructure. So I literally became obsessed with that information. I just started learning everything I could about the light rail, how it was going to impact. The city put out a ton of information regarding that. Uh, A lot of analytics around it as well, which basically detailed how Ottawa will be changing with this new infrastructure and how we're going to live and work and how even pockets of different neighborhoods were going to be impacted differently to others and how, as a result of that, how real estate would also change. So uh, I literally started learning everything I could, beginning to teach myself about zoning and what that meant, how to develop land, the process in the city. And I just became obsessed. And in this whole time, I was working at my corporate job. And I did this on the side. I decided to um, develop that and partner up with some um, construction people here in Ottawa. And I became their land specialist and their permitting specialist. So I would go and find the best places to develop. And I would work with my team to get all their permitting and approvals set. And that was my job for the next four years after that. And that's how I got where I am today. Yeah. I love that. When we talk about land development, there's traditionally two things that happen. You're either taking raw land and you're carving it up into smaller pieces, or you're taking land that's already been developed and you're reassembling it back together into larger pieces. Yes. Which of those two are you focused on? (laughs) Both. (laughs) I have done both and I continue to do both. And of course, the other piece that's tangential to both is getting the land entitled and zoned for highest and best use, because that's where the value creation is from a land perspective. Absolutely. 
And that's basically the bread and butter of what I do now, uh, Victor, is taking a piece of land, uh, whether that's, you know, raw land or it actually still has um, a property on it. It's usually closest to the light rail. That's my focus primarily are the lands that are closest to the light rail. And there's a reason behind that. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, once I acquire the land, it's either, just like you said, it either already has the proper zoning required to improve the land and get all my, my architecture and engineering done and submit that to the city for approvals, or I'm going and amending the zoning, like you said, in order to force that appreciation on that asset. So now we are able to actually maximize the profits into that uh, into that land when that's uh, when we go and reach and change the zoning of that. So when we talk about value for land, what we're really doing is doing what's called residual land value analysis. So that's going backwards from the finished product. Maybe it's a residential subdivision and backing up to what the land is going to cost you per buildable square foot for every single house so mm-hmm. that the metrics work for that finished product. Is, is that something that you get involved with or is that something that you simply, your end customer that's going to be doing the vertical development is most focused on? So I do all of that as well, Victor, because when I go in and take a project, I look at it as a very holistic point of view, meaning that not only am I accounting for what is the land uh, and structure actually going to cost me to acquire, but then what is it going to cost me to develop it? So get all my architecture, all the surveying, grading, whatever needs to be done to get my approvals with the city. And sometimes that includes a whole site plan process, right? So that's even a, a more uh, larger process with the city to get larger projects approved. And then at the end of the day, for me, it's important to know that once I'm finished, what are my exit strategies? And this accounts for that number that you were saying earlier, because if one of my exit strategies is to flip the paper, meaning once I have my approvals in place, I can go and sell that approved project to a builder or a developer who want to take it from me, the numbers have to make sense for them, right? At the end of the day, they're only going to buy it from me if it makes sense for them to build that. So I account for all of those details. I have estimators that I work with so that when I go and package up my project, I'm actually giving my project with a performa that details out all of the costs associated with the build and even what the expected value as built value would be of that property. So all of that is put into a a nice, uh, beautiful package and it allows me to flip that project. But also even for us, right? We wanna make sure that if we're gonna go full through uh, on an entire build, the numbers need to make sense. So we do all of that legwork in terms of analytics and number crunching and everything from start to finish. And that's when we'll know, okay, this project is one that we'll undertake and we're willing to take, you know, the year or two or whatever it might be to, to, to see it through. If you look at most major cities, there's a clear correlation between the value of a piece of property and its proximity to the subway, to the light rail system. If you look at Toronto, London, New York, every single city has that correlation. The further you get away from a subway station, 
the lower the land value. And so you're very smart to look at that from an Ottawa perspective because you know here too this is really the the first big step into a into a light rail or subway system. Mm-hmm. So that's absolutely smart. Now we are still in a culture that is still automobile centric. And so parking still is extremely important. And it doesn't matter if you're within a couple of hundred yards of the subway station, you still have tenants, you still have buyers that are going to be ultimately living there that will want a car. And that often is the constraint on any development. How do you factor that into your overall site plan? Yeah, that's a really good question, Victor, because I've had so many conversations with the city on this very same topic. And um, for anybody who has done development here in Ottawa would uh, know that if you're developing within the light rail, within 600 meters of the light rail, the city has actually put in new uh, provisions that essentially allow you to offer zero parking. There is almost uh, little to no parking requirements whatsoever. So initially, when I started talking to the city back in 2016 about that, I had a really hard time with that, right? Because I know just what you said, people are still very, uh, even if you're living in the core, I have friends that live there, they still want a car, they still have, would like to have a car. So we actually, in all of our developments so far, we still include parking. So the city will say no parking is required. There's no minimum parking requirement, but there is a maximum. So they'll say if you're this close to the transit station, uh, you can offer zero or up to this amount. We try to offer depending on the on the highest and best use and how we want to maximize that land, we'll try to offer a little bit of parking here and there. We may not get to a point where we're able to offer a parking spot for every single unit that we build, but at least we try to offer some parking. I have not yet done a development that I have not offered any parking, and it's primarily for exactly the reason why you said, Victor, because people, I know even me, I put myself on other people's shoes. I, I'm a very humanistic approach to the way I develop, and I think of how would I want to live, right? I know if I, if I have kids, let's say it's a two-bedroom apartment, for example, and let's say I have a son, I would need to get that son probably to soccer practice or think, you know, activities, doctor's appointment, whatever the case might be. So we try our best to offer some parking uh, as much as possible, at least. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The other factor is density. Uh, the zoning rules permit a certain amount of density by right. Yes. Then you can always push the envelope to some degree, maybe get a little bit better setbacks from the from the property line, maybe get a little bit relief on the height restriction, all of those different types of tricks of the trade to get a little bit higher density. How aggressive do you get when you're looking to get a property entitled? <laughs> you know, it's so funny, Victor, because um, I'm actually doing one similar, just, just exactly what you asked right now. So there's one, for example, where we've acquired the property. It's a good sized property, and we're going to be able to get a nice six-story building on it. But initially, what happened was we only purchased the one, right? So it's the one lot that we were going to develop. 
So uh, my intention with that was to follow the directions of the city and, you know, they prescribed that it can go up to six. So we're, we're doing that and we're following, uh, quote unquote, you know, what the city wants for that uh, development. But what has happened now is that we're doing a land assembly. So we're in communication with the landowners next to us and they own, you know, the next four to five lots right next to us. And we want to basically uh, assemble it all with the one that we're doing right now. So there are some situations where if you get a big enough piece of land and there is some precedence happening in other developments around the LRTs that are also pushing the boundaries, like you said, with that sort of amalgamation of lots and that type of assembly, we are definitely going to be pushing the boundaries a little bit more um, because then it makes it worthwhile, right? The city acknowledges that uh, we are doing our effort. This is actually an area that they want to have redeveloped because the city is putting a lot of money into revitalizing that entire area as well. So they're also very supportive of us going in and doing these projects within these you know, run down, very uh, industrial looking areas. They're willing to work with us. I've already started that conversation as well with my planners because I have a whole, I have a whole team, right? That gives me a lot of expert advice and, and, and all that. And seeing what other developers are pushing the boundaries in other stations around the LRT, I think with, with a larger piece of land, we're going to be able to ask for a little bit more. We're going to be able to push that boundary a little bit more. And it gives us a little more meat on the bone, right? If, we, if you're dealing with something that is on a much larger scale that could potentially um, you know, be beneficial for the city in general for us to do that. So in, in those cases, Victor, we will go in and, and push those boundaries, like you said. I love that. Well, Karina, if folks want to get in touch, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Yes, um, you can always reach me. I'll give you my email. It's Karina with a C at creativedevventures.com. Fantastic. Well, I love the story. And this weekend, we're focused on all things land development. So definitely reach out to Karina at Karina at creativedevventures.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.